friends and enemies, and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a 40k podcast about playing competitively with concrete tips and advice that you can use in your games in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and with me I have Shaylin Allen, my good podcasting host. Greetings. And Joshua Death, my evil podcasting host. All of the evil. All of it? All of it. Not going to save even a little bit for someone else? That's kind of selfish. That's why I'm evil. Oh, dang, you got me. <laughs> so, since this is kind of our inaugural episode here, I thought it's it'd be good to talk a little bit about what we're here to do. Um, the three of us put this together because we thought that there was some space in podcasting for good advice, like advice that you can really concretely apply to your games and your play, and is going to help you improve your games and your play. And also, not everyone has three hours. You know, I love Chapter Tactics, I love Forge the Narrative, Independent Characters and those guys, but dang, but some of those podcasts are long. Well, let's get Just a little bit. Yes. So our topic for this week as our brand shiny new inaugural episode is, I think, something that a lot of people really overlook, uh, the deployment phase. Not really a phase, but close enough. Indeed. I've beaten up more than one Death Guard player because they lost in deployment. Absolutely. And that's, I think, the the real key here, and the title of our episode as it happens, Winning and Losing the Game in Deployment. Yep. Because you absolutely can lose the game before it starts if you deploy wrong. And sometimes you win the game before it starts if you deploy right. Uh, I would say 80, 80% easily. And, and I know it sounds like a large number, but it's being honest. I would say 80% of the wins I get at tournaments are done in the deployment phase. Yeah, because if you don't understand how each of the the two armies are deploying and what's important when they deploy, um, then you, you can just be set up in such a way that your units won't do what they have to do. And Exactly. That's, yeah, that's just, that, that'll... You may not have actually lost the game, but you've essentially lost the game. If all of your units are at the wrong ranges and nothing can move where you need it to and you can't get on, on objectives, I mean, those are all the things that make your units win the game for you. And if they can't do that, it's over. Which is and those are all the things that we are going to cover tonight with the various different aspects of what you're going to get out of how you win and lose in the deployment phase and the various different points, like you mentioned, you know, positioning for objectives, for combat, for shooting, whatever, uh, making sure you're in the right spot when you need to be for the mission you're playing. Well, if we're talking about deployment, do we want to start off with the deployment maps? Because they're actually really different than previous editions. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, I don't think we need to go through every single one of them, you know, one by one, because that's kind of just a waste of everyone's time, but there are some, some pretty broad outlines that I think, at least I feel, apply to all of the deployment maps to varying degrees, and sort of broad trends that you can draw from them, because there's six deployment maps, but really it's two sets of three that are essentially the same, uh, just with some, some minor differences, um, yep. and... 
those differences are pretty easily because you, you have you know your Dawn of War and Hammer well, and Anvil and Vanguard. Well, I was thinking the the opposite half of Dawn of War, the straight across pointy Dawn of War. Yes. Yeah, the frontline assault. I always call it. I never remember its actual name. The uh, frontline assault. Yes, ah. thank you. Um, <laughs> because the real difference between the two of those is whether your your minimum deployment distance is in Dawn of War. You can't get any closer than twenty four inches. In Frontline Assault, you can get 18 inches away, which yep. is pretty close. And that's something you haven't been able to do in previous editions. No, uh, that can be very different. Uh, to be an army, an aggressive assault army really appreciates the extra six inches of free move. Yeah, it's and basically a free turn of movement. A gun line might not appreciate that three six, extra six inches their opponent gets. Not a whole lot, no. Although it is worth remembering that in the two pointy ones, Frontline Assault and the... The hammer and anvil pointy one. Um, spearhead, I think it might be called. Something like that. Um, in any case, the, the, the relevant thing there is that the minimum distance is 18 inches, but not across the whole length of your deployment. You only have a very small area that that is that close. Yeah, and you can go way far back on the other side. We're talking like 40-something? 40 42 inches? Uh, depending on exactly how deep you're willing to go and how big your units are but yes that is definitely the the other half of that is you in hammer and anvil as well as uh the table quarters and the diagonal um you can get a long ways from your enemy if you really want to uh, yes. You know, we think of guns like las cannons of just covering the whole table, but if you're playing spearhead and you put your guys in the back corner, they're out of range. Uh, it doesn't matter where your point deploys, they're out of range of those las cannons. Yep. yep. Which is why we should be talking about range. You know, range is kind of, like, really all of the deployment stuff. Well, not all of it, most of it comes down to ranges. Because like we said, it's about where your guns can reach, where your melee can reach, what objectives you can get to, all of that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing those ranges is super important. One thing that I'll see a lot of players fail to do is pre-measure during deployment. Because there's, there's very few reasons not to. Yep. Yeah, there's almost no reasons not to. There's one reason. I think we'll get to that in just a second. But you should be, generally speaking, pre-measuring, because you know how far your units can move, and you know how far your guns can reach. So when you're putting down that unit of jet bikes with their 36-inch range, measure a 48-inch bubble around them. And see, like, where can I get to? Where do they need to be to be able to get to my opponent? And by the same token, if your opponent's Castellan is sitting over there on the other side of the board, measure out that 58 inches and see where its plasma can get to. Because you probably care quite a bit where that gun can reach to. And it's not always going to be the whole board. If he play, deploys it right in the very center of his deployment zone, you can put things way back in the corners and potentially be out of range. Potentially. Depending on the deployment, of course. All of this is very contingent on what your opponent does, but that's that's what we're trying to emphasize here, is that you need to be looking at what you can do, what your opponent can do, and what is physically possible given that deployment zone and where they've placed that unit. Which is why, if you don't know the ranges on your opponent's guns, asking them that question is very valuable in this stage. Yes. Uh, never hesitate. Never hesitate to ask. Right. You should... 
th- that's really a fa- something that comes down to the the pre-deployment phase, which is knowing what your opponent's army does. Um, and if you don't know right off the bat, you need to ask them because if you don't know what your opponent is capable of, then how are you going to stop them from doing it? Exactly. Sometimes I misremember. I can't re- ever remember if Tau guns are 30 or 36 inches, so I just ask. <laughs> it's really easy to ask your opponent, and most people are happy to oblige. Um, it is also kind of worth re-emphasizing that uh, the part about movement, because it's not just about the range of the gun. Also, you can move and fire. Um, in yep. 8th edition, the penalty for moving and firing is smaller than it's ever been before. So... Always remember that, like, you can measure the 48 inches for that last cannon, remember the guy holding the last cannon still gets to move 6 inches. And if you're 2 inches out of range of his 48, he's going to shuffle forward, because shots in a minus 1 penalty are better than shot, no shots at all. Yep. Uh, the other thing I want to come back around to, because we did mention it, is, you know, pre-measuring, obviously a great idea. There are times when I do avoid pre-measuring. I don't know about the two of you, but there's actually times when I won't measure something out because I don't want my opponent to be looking at and thinking about that. You don't want to draw attention to it, yeah. I've, I've done that a few times, uh, yes. Um, Especially when both of you have a lot of units that you're going back and forth deploying. Um, it's very easy to lose track of all the things that put down on the table, and if I snuck some scouts into a building early on... A lot of times I just won't measure a range to them just in case my opponent has forgotten because I don't want him to remember those scouts are hiding that building over there. Yep. Exactly. Uh, I I often, using some of the units I use, do use redeploy shenanigans, so it's like, well, I just put these back here anyways. It doesn't matter. Yes. Measuring distances is a waste of my time. Yeah, some, some things don't care about distance. Uh, they literally do not care about distance. If you're planning on using a stratagem or an ability to redeploy something, uh, then it doesn't really matter where you put it other than, say, baiting your opponent out. Yeah. Um, Maybe avoiding that 36-inch range on the hive guard or something. Right. And we'll talk about <laughs> that sort of thing more later in the program. Uh, objectives, I think, is another one that people often don't think about nearly as much as they should, because objectives are how you win the game. It's literally the win or loss of the game is the objectives. Yep. Though it Uh, is very popular these days to have fixed-placed objectives, though. But, just because the objectives are fixed doesn't mean your units are fixed. True. And one big thing that I always think about, and I'm sure the two of you do as well, is when you have those objectives that are in your deployment zone or near your deployment zone, you need to be thinking about what units am I going to hold this with for the rest of the game? Not just turn one, because it's real easy to hold objectives turn one, but if you have all those units moving forward, like Shaylin's armies often do, <laughs> you need to be thinking about, like, what which of my units are going to sit back in my deployment zone and hold these objectives? And are they in range of doing that on the first for a couple of turns? Yep. Um, a thing to remember is you don't necessarily have to deploy on the objective if your plan is to move onto the objective because you left yourself in movement range. Yes. Uh, it's because... It doesn't really matter where which units are on the objective before the game starts. It's which objectives are going to be on at turn one. So if you have a guaranteed move onto an objective, that's fine. Um, 
And sometimes that's even good, because maybe you want to be out of line of sight of the enemy's guns, so they can't kill the objective you want to hold, a, hold the unit you want to hold an objective with. Exactly. Uh, and that also kind of leads into the other half of that, which is all those objectives that are not in your deployment zone, a lot of times those are kind of spread around the field and are going to be much harder to get to. Have a plan for which units are going to go grab those. If there's an objective way off to one side, it's an option just to ignore that. But that's a choice you should be making. It shouldn't just be, oh, I forgot to put any units over there. Uh, something something I try and uh, I coach a lot of people to realize many, many, many times over the years is uh, I do, if there's six objectives on the table, I do not need to hold six objectives. I only need to hold more than you. And that's that's a key mentality that I try to keep teach people is um, you don't need to try and grab every objective on the table. You just need to make sure you're holding more than your opponent. And yeah. so if you know you've got three objectives pretty much locked down and there's only three other objectives out there you're going to be fighting over, pick one or two of those to fight over, ignore the third, allowing you to still have more and allowing you to put more resources towards the objectives you're trying to win. Exactly. Yes. Because you only have so many units on the table and so much firepower, you've got to pick your fights when it comes to objectives. You can't just go for everything. Especially exactly. in 8th edition where everything dies. Yes. So true. Your opponent is going to shoot at those units on objectives, just like you're going to. And they're going to charge your units on those objectives, just like you're going to. Funny how that works. It's like, we want to go there. It's, yeah, like they're important or something. Another big consideration, and this actually plays into the objectives a little bit, is what terrain do you have in your deployment zone and near your deployment zone? Because there's a couple broad categories there that I think kind of will define certain strategies and where you place certain units, uh, but it's very important to know what you have available to you. And this is a big part of, like, when you're picking deployment zones, a lot of times I do just, I get lazy and I just pick the one that's on the side I'm already on, but sometimes, sometimes it's a lot more important and you need to be looking at what terrain is there. Because if you have a huge ruin that you can, like, put some devastators up in the top of where they're not going to be able to get assaulted, that makes a pretty big difference. Indeed. Versus versus the other side of the table that would be wide open at that point, you, your choice is going to dramatically matter in that case. Yeah. Uh, ruins and buildings are the big one that I look for, but there's a lot of other terrain types that can be very important as well. And just anything that blocks line of sight... Um, even if it's not in your deployment zone, if you if you have something that blocks off your opponent's fire lanes, where you can just put some guys in the, the shadow of a building so that the enemy can't shoot at them, that's just as good as being in cover. Yep. Um, turns out not getting not getting bullets rolled at you means you can't lose models. Can't fail a save you don't have to make. <laughs> and that's that's extra true for terrain that is near an objective. Oh yeah. Uh, if you, like Josh was saying earlier, when you're picking and choosing those objectives that you're, which ones you're going to go for, and which ones are near your zone that you think you can get to, if there's one of them that has terrain near it that your guys can hide behind, that's probably an objective you want to fight for, especially if the terrain favors you. That it's as to say, it's it's more you know towards your side and blocking the enemy side than the opposite. An L shape with the inner corner pointing towards your enemy or something. Yes. 
Uh, and by the same token, if your opponent has a really good piece of terrain that just completely blocks off a section of their deployment zone so that you can't shoot at it, you need to take that into account when you're putting your units down because you you know in advance that you are not going to be able to shoot anything behind that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about deployment, let's not say order, but uh, strategies when you've got more or fewer units than the enemy. Because I think there are two distinctly different ways of placing things down that are you're going to use when you have more stuff than the enemy and when you have less stuff than the enemy. Uh, I often have more than my opponents. I have a very relatively high unit count in my army, so I put down units that kind of go are going to go in a fixed place every time to kind of waste drops to force my opponent into putting down important things. Yeah, and I would say more generally, because if you're if we're talking, what's okay? So let's start with more units than the enemy. Yeah. You know you have more drops than them. And typically drops are fairly fixed. You may be able to adjust it a little bit with a transport and cramming some characters in or stratagem or whatnot. But typically you can look at two army lists and know which of them has more drops. Yeah. Uh, and that's usually not going to change. So if you've got more drops than the enemy, what is your general plan? What, do you, what are you going to put down first? What are you hoping to do? Uh, as I said, for, for my tactic is there are certain things like I have in my army, specifically rear objective holder models. Sure. Things that are supposed to hold objectives in my backfield, they're OPSEC units, and they're cheap. That's just something I built into my army list. They're basically going to do that job every single game. So I put them down in a place that is sensible for that nearish an objective so they can either move on to it, have a redundant squad to back it up if one squad gets shot off, that sort of thing. Okay, but that's not really what I'm, I'm trying to... to I, but I, sa- I would say I would put them down first to make my opponent put down four drops that I can right. then respond to is where I'm trying to go with this. Well, and I think that's, I think that's the, the more relevant part of that is <laughs> some of your units are going to go in fixed places and whatnot, and you can often do those, but the real like lesson out of that is if you have more drops than your opponent you can make them place their relevant units before you place your relevant units. Yes. Because neither of us really care where my mortars are going. They're going to be in range of pretty much everything. They don't care about line of sight. They're going to be behind a thing. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to put my mortars down and it's not going to change anything you do. But where I put my Castellan or where I put my Riptide, or where I put my unit of Corn Berserkers, that is that all matters. where you deploy yep. your stuff. Yes. So, if you have more drops than your opponent, you can take advantage of that, because that probably means you have more chaff drops as well, these drops that don't really affect either of you. Um, these The character you're putting on an objective that's going to have guys in front of it no matter what you do the mortars that are hiding behind the thing, the unit that's going to redeploy, the thing you put into reserve that could, you know, to null deploy with. All of those are things that you can 
do as your early drops in the sequence and force your opponent to put down more relevant units. There is one exception there. If you both have infiltrating units that would infiltrate during deployment, you're probably going to want to put down your infiltrators as soon as humanly possible. Right. And that is the opposite half of that, is you will need to get those units down and out there and doing their... Because what they're still limited by the nine inches from the enemy. So if you have your scouts, your nerglings, your stealth suits, etc., you need to make them one of your very first drops. Uh, yes. Also, you that's true for warlords that have a command, repoint, command point regenerating ability. Uh, if either of you have any stra stratagems you use during the deploying that can come up, then you want them on the table. And none of those abilities work when you're not on the table. Yep, you have to be in on table to be in-game. Josh, do you have any deployment strategies for when you have more... Especially... I, I, though, I'm glad you hit that last one right there, because a lot of people, uh, with this new FAQ, a lot of people are all uh, uh, really riding on the whole, you know, the CP farm is dead, or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. Um, but the, the one exception right now is the pre-deployment command points. And so uh, you're still going to see armies bringing the command point regenerating abilities. You're still going to see the warlord traits out there. But when they're going to be really vying to take advantage of that is in the deployment step. So if you have that model, that model needs to go down first every single time yeah. before anything else happens. Just because you need to be ready to try and get as many command points back that you're using pregame. Because that's the only time now you're really going to be able to fully take advantage of that. And yep. the, only, the only part of that I would contradict is that sometimes it will be more important to put your infiltrators down. Um, yep, exactly. And that is... But, and it, yes, that, it, it, yeah, very much, yes. Putting down my regenerator first, because the potential to earn back one, two, three, five command points is absolutely there. Because mm -hmm. a lot of armies use deployment stratagems it's very very common to see pretty much no matter who you're playing and the chance of getting those command points back is big mm -hmm. yeah another one that i always like to, to i'd like to throw out there is uh kind of going along the lines earlier how you mentioned that you don't always have to use all of it uh infiltrators are the same way um just because you have the ability to infiltrate oh, doesn't mean you always should there are times where you don't want to deploy the infiltrators right all the way up, nine inches away from the enemy, right there before the game. Sometimes you want to be more conservative with them. Sometimes you want to do kind of like what, what Shay was mentioning with just hide them out somewhere and leave them. Or like you were talking about with your scouts, where you'll just deploy them in a building and let your opponent forget about them. Yep. Sometimes you don't want to be aggressive or flashy with them. You just want to put them there, let them, let them come into, into the game turn three or four rather than turn one or two. Yes. Sometimes that's something you need to consider. And I, I see a lot of people get caught up in the fact, oh, well, I have scouts. They infiltrate, so I'm going to deploy them now. Even though they, are, they have zero reason to be in the middle of the table, they wanted them there because that's what they're used to doing. It's the habit they're into. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, Knowing what job your units are going to perform in the battle is a very important part of the deployment. Is no, is this unit disposable or is this unit important? I have personally come to the realization since I've got about four consistent backfield units in my army, I use redundancy with putting them on objectives now mm -hmm. because they get shot off and they die. 
Yeah. Better to succeed in holding one objective than fail in holding two. Exactly. So I've I've learned that there that's a good trick to have is if you are dedicating a unit whose role is to hold stuff in your backfield, make sure you got some redundancy back there as a thought. Well, what's your contingency plan if it gets shot off? Basically. Yes. You should always have a contingency plan, not just in deployment, but in everything. Yes. So what? So where? Where do we? How do we flip this though? What I mean? What do we do when we have fewer units than our enemy? Well, that's certainly a disadvantage. But the 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 plus side of going of fewer units is obviously you have a better chance of going first. And I think that when you have fewer units than your opponent, you need to. I would say deploy aggressively, but not in the sense of necessarily deploying forward. It doesn't mean you need to place all your opponents to be aggressive towards the enemy, but you need to deploy aggressively in the sense that you are the one who dictates the flow of deployment. Yes. You have the uh, quote-unquote initiative, so to speak, um, and you need to be the one to say, I'm putting my unit of corn berserkers right up here at the front of the battlefield, and I am going to be the one who is sending them at you, because I don't know where you're going to put your countercharge units. So you need to react to me. The, the the player with fewer drops is the aggressive player by default. Yes. And if you're going to be the aggressive player, take control of the situation and hold control as long as you can. Yes. And I think we have a whole other podcast that is going to be on whether you're the aggressive player or the defensive player, but... That, that that dichotomy holds true even in the deployment phase. That there is someone who is acting and there is someone who is reacting, and you need to know which of those two you are. Additionally, a thing you can do uh, if you are the aggressive player is you can put threat units there that force your opponent to push things back more conservatively. Yes. Uh, that's a big part of being the aggressive player is you are dictating how the game moves, which means that, for example, if you lay those corn berserkers down real aggressively, you can you can influence which objectives your opponent has a legitimate chance of going for. If they know that that unit of berserkers or cultists or whatever is going to be right on top up on top of one of the objectives, they're probably going to shy away from that objective because it's just going to be too much work to get to it. An example with infiltrators is putting the infiltrators right in the center of the table as the first infiltration deployment. Because now your opponent gets to choose if they get a saddle on the left or on the right with their infiltrators. Yes. Uh, and contrawise, if you are the defensive player there, and your opponent lays that big block of infiltrators right down the middle and just spreads them out to the full coherency and blocks off the whole middle of the table, you can't play the middle of the table at that point. Um, you're going to need yep. to decide, am I left flank or right flank? Or do I split flanks? Because that can also be a thing. And I think I think we'll come back around to talking about split flank deployments and all of that in just a second here. But first, why don't we take a nice little break, give everyone a chance to listen to some fancy music, and maybe a word from our sponsors. Or get yourself a drink. That too. Gamers, are you looking to do conversion of your dreams but just can't find the right bits? Probably because they don't exist? Gaiman with a top hat? Magnus with a pimp cane? Mortarian playing chess? Well, 
Those dreams can become reality with VritaForge, a design and 3D printing studio that can make the bits you've always wanted to happen, happen. VritaForge can be found through Facebook, that's V-R-E-D-A-F-O-R-G-E, like Forge Worlds. Contact her, and she can design custom bits, parts, in any number you desire, from one to a million. VritaForge. Make all of your Wargaming Bits dreams come true. And we're back. So, flank deployments and center deployments. Do we want to talk a little bit about what that means first before we get into it? Sure. Yeah. Josh. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll start. I'll start. Yeah. We want to <laughs> uh, hear your melodious voice. <laughs> Something like that. So, split flank is obviously dividing your army in approximate halves doesn't have to be halves but splitting it into two parts mm -hmm. and going up on one side or another side kind of attacking two parts of the table at the same time effectively sure however you wish to look at that so a central flank. deployment is more of rather than attacking sides you're attacking from the center so you can branch out in multiple ways but you're all core from a certain point you can centralize on the right side rightish side and the leftish side obviously well, I would call those flanks. It's you, you either have a central deployment, mm -hmm. left flank, right flank, or split flanks, I think mm -hmm. is the how I sort of conceptualize the general I, uh, way of placing down. Yeah, the way of placing down, yes, but the, the attack points, if you're centralized from there, the advantage of a central position and not having your forces split is they can react outwards in any direction. Oh, for sure. That's what I was trying to say. Josh, do you have anything you want to add? Makes sense. Actually, that kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's really two main types, obviously, that you're going to have to look at. Uh, the only thing I want to add to I, I guess I would add, would be uh, the, I think the single biggest mistake I see when people are deploying is they have a six-foot-long table. Let's just say Donna War deployment. You have six feet of table and 12 inches of deployment in, and for some reason they feel a need to deploy in the entire six feet of that table. Even if they only have like five units to deploy, they still have, you know, they put one way over here and one way over here and one in the middle. And it, it even though they have no need to, they don't, they have no need to have all these units so spread out. They don't have to use your entire deployment zone. They, they, you know, if you want to split the flank, split the flank with the purpose. Yes. Make sure that that's what you're doing. You're splitting the flank because you're planning on attacking both of those flanks. You're if you're going to go for the center flank, make sure the majority of your army is is set up to engage the center and then move out accordingly. Don't just have unit here, unit here, unit here, like you're setting up a buffet. Um, you know, really, really make sure your units are put down in the locations they are because you have a, a reason why they're there, not just because you're putting them on the table. Yes, exactly. it's very tempting to see all that empty space and just be like, well, I have to put units everywhere because there's all this board. I I, I tend to mentally call that the firing line deployment. Um, yeah. Because it's you see a lot with new players who are playing a gun line army. And it's just, here's a predator, here's a devastator, here's a tactical squad, here's another devastator. And they just sort of line them up along the edge of their deployment zone. And not Buffet like they, style. Yeah, they're, it's just... They're all easy targets, because the real thing about these ideas of splits, flanks, center, all that, is concentration of force. Because it's not just about how many units you have on the table, it's about how those units can 
work together because if each of your units are only in range to shoot one of the enemy units that's directly across from them, you're not concentrating your firepower, you need it. And you're going to shoot, you know, your predator at one tank and you're not going to kill it because one predator just doesn't kill a tank. And then you're going to shoot your devastators at a totally different tank because they can't see the thing the predator shot at and they're not going to kill that either. And then you're going to shoot your tactical marines at a third thing and you're not going to kill that either. And now your opponent gets their turn and they get to shoot all of their units at you and then they can actually kill something whereas you killed nothing. Yes. Um, so Shailen touched on this a little bit but I think uh, my idea I'd like to kind of go over because there, each of the deployments has I, I would say a, a strength to it. So the yes. center deployment is basically all of your units kind of tend to be not exactly in just a big ball but concentrated at the center of the deployment zone. That's one I often find myself using when I am expecting to probably go first and when I have my when I have more deployments than the enemy by a lot. Uh, I need to be able to reach large parts of the table. It's the most flexible deployment. Yes. Uh, it lets you, like Shaylin said, reach out to the left or to the right as needed during the course of the game. Your opponents are central, hence the name, um, and that gives them the most access to the most of the field possible. Um, that said, it also gives them the enemy the most access to you. Uh, so they are going to get to shoot at most everything you have in that little ball in the center. And so it can be dangerous, but if you don't have as much mobility, or you don't know where your opponent is going to deploy, or anything like that, then the central deployment, I think, can be kind of a safe bet. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the flank deployments going heavy to one side or the other, I think are the deployments for when you don't have that, you need the concentration of force, where you need your whole army to be fighting a portion of the enemy army, or if all of the objectives are on one side of the table and you know you need to hold that side of the table because you can't win, or if the terrain heavily favors one side, that's when you're going to use a split, a flank deployment. Um, when one side of the table is either more attractive than the rest, or one side of the table is the only way you can potentially do things. Um, the other thing is, sometimes with Dawn of War, your opponent will decide to deploy flank, and you can deploy in the opposite of flank defensively. Right. You, a flank deployment can be used to oppose a flank deployment, as well as a center deployment or a split. Each of the deployments is a valid opposition to all of the other deployments, depending on what your opponent is doing. Yes. Um... And kind of transitioning that, because the, the split deployment is really just choosing both flanks. Yes. Um, that's what it is in essence. Uh, the number one reason I take the split deployment, and this may just be the way I play, is if your opponent has a very melee-centric army and I'm playing a shooting army. Uh, because when you, pick the, when you go with that split deployment, put all your units on one side, you put all your units on the other side those melee units can only move towards one of those sides. But you can shoot both sides at the melee units that are coming at one side. You so force a move... firing lane. Yes, he moves all the way across the table, he assaults into one side of your line, he probably kills it all off, 
but then he has to move all the way across the table a second time rather than just taking his three-inch consolidation move and getting into you. Mm-hmm. I actually often play with split deployment, but I use units that redeploy and just don't care. We're not really talking about redeployments <laughs> because they are a completely different issue. Redeployment units... A whole are, different episode. Yeah. They, <laughs> they are not where they look like. That, that's the part them. we should talk about. If someone has redeployment units, know that that's not where they really are. Yes. Oh, I don't think there's a lot to discuss there. It's just, it's worth remembering that some units can move wherever they want, and those units, even if they're placed in particular places, aren't in those places. Yes. Um, that's actually uh, another, the other use for the split deployment, I think, um, is if you have more units than the enemy, you can feign one flank, um, put some sort of like trashy units to one side, and make your opponent commit some good stuff because they've got fewer deployments than you do. Mm -hmm. And once they've placed enough of their important stuff on one side, start putting your good stuff on the other side so that they won't get to shoot at it or yep. charge it or whatever the case may be. Um, if your opponent has more drops than you and they are doing it badly, you can put feeder units on one side and then put your good units on the other side if they've committed their good units to the one side. Yes, uh, but I don't think we should count on our opponents making mistakes like that. No, I'm uh, pointing out the mistakes so people know not to make it. Yes, well, we already talked about that section, though, in, you know, deploying your units in the right order. Yeah. So, unit order. Um, that's actually kind of a big thing, because it, it's not fixed, it's not necessarily, there's not a lot of hard and fast rules. Uh, but we talked a little bit about putting your infiltrators down, putting your command battery down, that sort of thing. Uh, what are you guys feeling? Do you put down shooting units or melee units first? I actually end up emphasizing more towards board control units first. Those are always the ones that I will almost drop, almost always drop first. If there's a certain unit that I, I have that I know is designed to give me board control, since their positioning is so much more important than other units for me, that's the first one I drop. So your big block of cultists or conscripts or something like that? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's normally what I will start with. A lot of it is because... Uh, I want to make sure if, like, example, if I'm putting them out to do blocking, if I'm planning on either, you know, using the their forward operative stratagem to get nine inches out, I want to make sure that wherever they are, they're in a position to make sure that each one of those models, when they move their nine inches out pre-game, is going to give me the best board coverage I can where I need them to be. And so I got that. I get them out first, so just in case I had it happen where. I happen to drop a tank or another character or whatever, and now they're in the way of me getting the exact coherency or the exact positioning that I want out of that unit. Yeah, uh, not not having your units get in the way of each other is a big part of things. Yes. Because um, you need to know what you're doing first turn. Where are your units going to go and how far are they going to move? I've seen so many players screw themselves up because they put a big unit of conscripts or gaunts or something in front and then they're planning to advance them and they roll a one on the advance roll and the rest of their army is all stuck behind them. Yes. Yep. You, you've Too many to, times. You've got to be ready for your units to not always do exactly what you want and know what the dice can give you. If you're planning on advancing that unit, then leave some space for your other units that are going to be behind them just in case you roll poorly and another one that I've seen that I just baffles me every time, 
um, people will put a tank right behind a wall of conscripts, and they move those conscripts, and they advance them, and they move the tank up. Why? Well, <laughs> no. The problem is the tank is still not in range. Ah. Because the conscripts can only move, you know, 7 to 12 inches, even with an advancement. Mm. Um, and the tank still ends up in range. And it's like, well, why did you have the conscripts in front of the tank in the first place? Mm-hmm. It, because you knew those conscripts were only going to get a certain distance. They can't get any further than they can move. Mm-hmm. So why was that tank behind them? Um, leave holes in your lines if you need to. You can have the conscripts looped around the backside of that tank to hold coherency, but leave room for that tank to get into range. Leave room for your characters to move forward and maintain those auras. Auras are another big one. Yes. Yes. You're going to need to maintain those auras on lots of different units, so make sure you have spots to place those characters. Some characters, it's not very hard. It's real easy to fit that little guy on a 25mm base in the middle of a unit. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder uh, if he's on a 40 or a 60 or a knight base or something like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, exactly. Yes. Uh, that is another thing when I look at a table and I'm deploying is, I, where is my army trying to go? Have that yeah. question answered before you even start models down. And that that comes back around to our point about pre-measuring all of this, is you should be deploying in anticipation of turn one. Because you know turn one's going to happen. You know it's coming right away. So look at your units and think, where am I going to go on turn one? What's my plan? Yeah. And if you're a growing and better player, assuming my turn one goes well, where are they going then? And if it goes poorly, where are they going then? Yes. Looking at least one turn ahead can be really helpful. You always want to be looking a turn ahead. Know what you're going to do next turn, not just this turn. Because if you're only playing this turn, then you're not. You're always going to get caught by surprise. Uh, forgetting to you move units in your backfield that could be moving up on something, right. for example. So. Uh, that's yeah. That's something I see all the time. But again, subject of another podcast. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the other thing that catches players by surprise constantly, but I don't know why. Having the first turn and having the second turn. Ah, yes. Yes. I see so many people fuming about, ooh, I would have won that game, but he... But I got seized on. He got... Well, seized on is is the slightly more understandable one, but he got... I had fewer drops than him, and he went first. And I look at that, and I'm like... Well, that, there's a one in three chance of that happening. So why are you surprised? Like, no one no yep. one is shocked and amazed when a Space Marine fails an armor save. That's just the thing that happens. Why are you surprised you didn't win the roll-off to go first? Mm-hmm. You need to be ready for both of those. You can't... You Generally, you can't deploy assuming you are going to get the first turn. Now, there are a few matchups that if you get the second turn, you will just lose. Mm-hmm. But... That's not how you. If you deploy, yeah. If you, if you do, if you deploy with that concept in mind of if I go first I win, if I go second I lose, then at that point you are literally setting yourself up. If you win the roll, great. If you don't, well, you set it up that way, and And you will not win a GT or a major on that mentality. On that mentality, or in those kind of dice rolls, like you can't expect you will get to go first every single time. Uh, and if your army can't handle going second, then it's not a good army. I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. 
Yes. So 100% agree. You need to be ready for both second turn and first turn, regardless of who you are. Uh, and that includes the seize, because really seizing is not... Like, in, in previous editions, it was way more of a thing where it's like you thought you were going to go first, but then you didn't. These days, when you deploy your units, you don't know whether you're going to go first or second. Exactly. And the seize doesn't, shouldn't really change that. The seize is really... It does easy. not affect. It's one more part of that dice roll to see who goes first. Yes. And it's really yep. all part of that same thing, because it doesn't actually change the odds any. No. And that said, my army personally prefers to go second most matches. I like having a turn to react, and I well, deploy very defensively. You, the, a lot of armies do have a preference. In fact, you should have a preference, and you should you should probably deploy in a way that matches your preference. If you would rather go first, deploy in a way that is that is going to match up with that. Yes. But you also need to know what you're going to do if you don't get that preference. Exactly. Because it will happen pretty often. Uh, the thing I find most often that a lot of players do is not using terrain and line of sight blocking terrain especially. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you think you're going to go first, that's great, but why not put those guys behind that wall anyways? It's, what, an inch, an inch and a half a lot of cases. You lose that little tiny bit of movement, and it's the difference between sh being shot and not being shot. Yeah. Which, again, you Huge. can't fail a save if you don't have to roll the save. We'll say that a lot this podcast. It's every just, podcast, every episode. You can't fail a roll you don't make. It's a super important concept in this game. And it's something that we will emphasize a lot, because it is absolutely critical to understanding... All of those situations where I would have won if I hadn't rolled X, Y, and Z. And the question is, why did you let it get to X, Y, and Z? Yep. Well, do either of you have any other comments that you want to make as far as deployments and how you deploy, lessons you got takeaways? I think we've pretty much hit the nail on the head on this one. And also really shown, shine the light on why the deployment step in and of itself is so vitally important to winning or losing a game competitively. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, like we said before, if you're not in range to use your guns, it doesn't matter what your guns do. If you're not close enough to get to the objectives, you're not going to get on the objectives. Exactly. You've got to deploy ready for the game to happen and ready, because the deployment step is basically just one more turn that happens before turn one. Exactly. Well, if neither of you have anything else to add, I think it's time we do our wrap-up and whatnot. Sounds good. Uh, Shayla and Josh, do you have anything you want to plug for us here? Uh, pretty pretty quiet on my front. Shayla? Not today. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope we'll see you again in a future week. Uh, if either any of you happen to be in the Pacific Northwest, Shaylin and I are pretty common tournament features traveling around the area there. So if you see us, give us a shout, say hi. And if you enjoyed our podcast, then which I hope you did, then please subscribe. Please tell other people on Facebook, give us a review, all of those things because those really do help us out a ton. And 
They help us produce more content. We have a lot of stuff going forward that we're, we're really hoping. We don't want to announce any of it quite yet because it's not quite ready, but we have big plans for this. And I think those of you who enjoyed the podcast here will be really happy with some of the stuff we're going to come out with. We have a YouTube channel and a lot of other stuff in the works, battle reports, all kinds of stuff. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking oh. of speaking of throwing a little teaser out, I know uh, we kind of already talked about uh, next week's episode. I'd love it if you kind of threw a plug at that, Sean. All right. Well, our uh, it's I suppose this is spoiling uh, everyone a little bit, but next week we will be talking about analyzing a new codex, which I think a lot of people are going to be interested in the wake of the orcs here. Wog. Wog. <laughs> so from For sure. here in the center. And my good podcast host on the left. Hey. And my evil podcast host on the right. Oh, yeah. This has been In the Finest Hour.